Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Okay, I'm just going to dive right in. I got a great deal of things here. First of all, I fully understand that there was a New Zealand whistleblower when it came to jab statistics and the evidence that he came across working for their government regarding, again, people taking the jabs and then people dying immediately. I I, want to get into that, frankly, uh, just very briefly here off the top. Um, Again, I I fully understand that he's been arrested as a result of disclosing this information. They're claiming that he stole government data and all this other stuff, which, of course, is a complete lie. He's been working with lawyers this entire time to make sure that everything that he's doing is legal. And uh, again, I don't want to, I don't want to shortchange his experience because I fully understand the pressure that he's under and the pressure that he feels internally regarding, you know, this kind of a situation. You you have detrimental information that that people need to understand. And now, of course, you know his his home got surrounded. He was arrested. He was detained. He was in jail for at least a couple of days. He's now out of jail but allegedly faces uh you know potentially 7 years in prison and i you know from what i understand he's going to be and is on the Alex Jones show uh he might be talking with other individuals as well either way his real name is Barry from what i understand and this again is just from the exposé that he could face up to 7 years in prison it says and that they reported last week that he was an administrator who is overseeing New Zealand's covid vaccine database and that he came forward as a whistleblower, Barry Young is his name, and he disclosed that the data had shown a concerning proportion of individuals that had died shortly after receiving the COVID vaccine. Days following the disclosure, journalist Liz Gunn reported that Young had been raided by the police on Sunday, and now according to James Freeman, a TV station, I'm sorry, a radio station rather, TNT, that he could be facing up to seven years in prison. Again, here's the thing. I, I, I've seen his entire presentation, uh, I, and again, I don't want to shortchange it by any stretch. However, it's not surprising to us. We, of course, have been paying attention to the charts and the databases and the, and the statistics and the information and the videos and the quote-unquote anecdotal evidence and certainly the endless stories and experiences for a very long time. So it would be surprising, again, to someone like him to come across this kind of information and and not understand that governments want us dead that that is that is the role of government that is the point the point is for them to keep us asleep pacify us keep the truth from us and then kill us make us dependent on them if they can and then of course wipe us out in the process uh again not surprising we've all seen those charts we've seen the charts where you're looking at the regular death toll of every country, and then wouldn't you know it, right there at the beginning of 2021, the death toll dramatically increases. There's only one reason for that. So we know what that is, but again, this right here is showing that when you, when you work for the government and you come out against the government and the government schemes, and you openly show the people what the government has been doing, even though we fully understand. There is a bit of a roadblock there because we're not seeing that enough from individuals within our government. And other governments, of course, don't have their own employees coming forward often enough 
saying what this guy clearly saw because they all know it. Again, there are endless individuals within government who fully understand what's taking place here. But, uh, you know, if, if this kicks a ball down a hill that causes more individuals to come forward who are actually working for the government, not just the pharmaceutical industries, because here in the States, we've had those individuals. We've had the individuals who work with Pfizer come forward and say, they're trying to kill you. These are poisons and they're trying to kill you. I mean, th these individuals are not new to us. So I will say this again, it doesn't surprise me that it would be shocking for someone like him who maybe supported the vaccine rollout in the first place, but of course was working for government and watching these numbers come across his face and then him be shocked and actually wake up to the fact that, uh, that his government, the New Zealand government, wanted their citizens dead. Because again, if you would see something like this re regarding the death toll, you would think that if they cared about human life, they would stop the rollout immediately. But of course, that would imply that something had gone wrong, and they don't want to admit that under any circumstance, certainly not in the short term. They might in the long term, or they might throw someone under the bus in the long term to say, well, you know, it didn't quite go the way that we had hoped, and we understand that some people have been hurt by this, even though the fact that the death toll is massive. Now, as a result of, again, the death toll numbers, They've stated and estimated that it's at least 17% of the people who took the shots are dead. Well, that's enough to pull anything off the market. We've, we, we've all seen endless examples and memes and even news reports that if a head of lettuce from a particular company is found to have salmonella or associated with you know, E. coli or whatever the hell, well, then they're all pulled off the shelves and they're all thrown in the trash. This is a bit different. This should prove to everybody that there is a depopulation agenda. So again, what's going to happen to him in the, in the long term, I have no idea. What I hope is that every single person that works within these organizations who knows that there's a depopulation agenda and wrongdoing, that they all come forward at the exact same time. And that they overwhelm these particular, oh, I don't know committees, groups, government agencies, whatever it may be. And even if they don't listen to them, then they need to go public in their own right and in their own way. Again, I think we're a bit tired of hearing from some of the same old, same old people like the Robert Malone's of the world. We get it. We understand Robert Malone's opinion. We understand his take. And then unfortunately, you get the Steve Kirsch's also who love coattails. There's not a coattail that won't pass by him that he won't latch on to. And of course, then he, he and his ghostwriters have endless you know, headlines that say things like, uh, you know, we told you so. You know, we knew that the death rate was high and blah, blah, blah. Well, we, we get it, Steve. We get it. But you're double jabbed and you fell for it. And you still don't think that there's a depopulation agenda. The evidence can't be any clearer. So again, we have to stop, I think, putting a microphone in front of people like that. And we really do need to get more uh, of this of this very very young guy. We, we have to get more people like him who have actually worked inside of the government and who are seeing what's taking place, and then of course immediately recognizing what's going on. Because again, if no one in the government is talking about it, that right there shows you their entire motive. But we need to hear from people like him and groups of individuals like him who work for our own government. 
And that's assuming, of course, that they don't get killed in the process of, of trying to bring this information forward. But again, if the likes of Marjorie Taylor Greene and uh, Senator Ron Johnson are actually serious about this, then they've got to stop talking to Robert Malone. They need to encourage anybody and everybody who works within the government to come forward if they have proof and information, of course, that um, that there is a, a depopulation agenda here at play regarding the shots and that the shots are killing people. You're not going to hear the truth from the CDC head. You're not going to hear the truth from the head of the FDA. And again, if you ask any other politician, they're going to ignore it because look how many politicians are ignoring it. They all have their lobbyists, you know, hooks in their backs. They're all taking kickbacks from Pfizer, Moderna, so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, trading stocks left, right, and center. So, yeah, that's just my kind of quick rant on that. Um, but again, I, I don't want to downplay, um, you know, the seriousness of, of what he's doing. I just hope that it leads to more individuals in all countries to come forward and actually say, yeah, I work for the government. We were a part of this. Here's, here's what went down and here's what happened. So again, he has the death toll based on his numbers, and then they estimated them worldwide as being at least 17%, upwards of 20 to 25%. You know, that that could be a so far number. 25, you know, 20 to 25% so far. Yeah. So what? We are two years into the actual two and a half years, almost three years now into the we are three years in. Three years into the the full shot rollout. And we've got 25%, 20 to 25% of the people dead from the shots. And that's just in, you know, that, that particular country. But again, I believe that was estimated to be worldwide. It does say here in the article that, uh, that that's based again on, on his country, on New Zealand specifically. But, you know, it's basically being stretched out into potentially being worldwide. Anyway, I think it's higher than that. I really do. Again, I, I, I've been back and forth in the whole placebo talk. You know, are placebos real? Are they not? I've heard some individuals say that they are, that a third of the shots are placebos. Some people have said half of the shots are placebos. I have no proof of that. Um, I, I just don't. Again, I, I think that if anybody had an adverse reaction, which would be any poisoning from any shot that they've that they've ever taken that would prove that they took the real deal. So, placebo or not, uh, I think this is one of the reasons why they wanted people to have two shots or more, and I think that too was part of the scheme. They wanted to make sure that individuals who were taking these shots got at least two in them. That way, if there was a placebo, it wouldn't matter. The placebo would have nothing to do with it because they took two, which means the odds of them being poisoned permanently would would still be there. So, yeah. Depopulation agenda, and this is just more proof of it. Okay. I'm going to talk about other jab-related things later, but I did want to mention that at the top. Uh, again, I, I saw that last week. I hadn't commented on, on the show regarding that particular man and, and, and what he's going through, but... Um, yeah, he's a hero. There's no doubt about it. We just need more people like him in, in every single country, like I said, working for government and then coming forward, assuming that they aren't killed before they get the opportunity to talk about it. So there you go. All right. I've got some education-related stuff here that is jacked up. 
Um, I have just a couple of quick headlines here that I want to hit, but then a couple of stories that I want to dive into a little more specifically. And again, a lot of this has to do with CIA infiltration within both K-12 and higher education, specifically higher education. There is no doubt that the CIA is involved, but more specifically actually placed within these universities. And I have a couple of local stories regarding Miami University in Ohio, one in particular that will prove that. It certainly should any, anyway to somebody who is a, you know, a thinking person. But, uh, but first there's this. This was from the Gateway Pundit. It's kind of you know, your typical holiday market on the calendar education story per, per usual. It's titled, Leftist Politicians Demand Catholic School Teach Transgender Ideology. Merry Christmas, everybody. Again, <laughs> these, these stories are, uh, they're just too predictable. They're just beyond predictable. But it says, the church goes to appeals court to stop takeover by politicians. A Catholic school in Michigan is asking an appeals court to help in stopping a takeover of an institution by leftist politicians who want it to promote their sex ideology. Now, I'm not going to dive into this any more specifically than that. We fully understand that the church is completely compromised. And as you've heard me say, even these kinds of schools are under attack constantly, and they will carry out the plans of the satanic powers that be, in particular if they have the right people in place within those particular private Catholic schools. If they do and they get their orders over email, they're going to follow them out. They're, they're going to follow through with those orders. If they happen to have somebody at the helm who recognizes this as being satanic, um, then, of course, they're probably not going to go through with it. The, the big question then becomes, can someone move that person around? Can someone associated with the church at a higher level pull the administration out of that private Catholic school and then move them somewhere else or just eliminate them? And the answer is, yeah, they can. They can do all of that. It's really no different than any church that an individual attends, and then all of a sudden you see that the pastor is all of a sudden gone. Or the pastor says, well, I'm leaving and I'm you know, moving to another location and blah, blah, blah. Well, well, they just got different orders. They got different orders to go somewhere else. And again, I think the last three plus years have proven that this is exactly what goes on at the church level behind the scenes. These individuals follow orders. They don't question authority. They read their emails just like the doctors do. And then they just blindly go along with what's on their TV. That's not biblical. I mean, the warnings of that are clearly in the Bible, the business of the false prophets and a thousand other examples. But at the exact same time, this does happen within private Catholic schools. And people have to understand that. Again, the private Catholic schools wore the masks. But if, if you have a school, like in this case, that doesn't want uh, you know, all of their sexual perverse satanic nonsense, well, they might just pluck those administrators. So time will tell, I think. And again, it will, it will solely depend on how private they are. If they are so private that they themselves within their church or, or their school own the building and no one else has any say over what they do or where they go, well, then 
you know, they can continue to practice whatever they want to practice because they have the First Amendment and they're allowed to do that. And they're allowed to deny all of the sexual perverse nonsense that clearly individuals want them to engage in. So I don't know. It's it's disgusting, but you know, they need to stand their ground. And if they don't, that should tell you all you need to know. Okay. So there was that. There's also this. Also from the Gateway Pundit, my apologies for the reference, but uh, Seattle public school teachers encourage students to write hate letters to Moms for Liberty. Now, this was the organization, Moms for Liberty, that LeVar Burton of Reading Rainbow decided to criticize at some stupid speech that he was giving not that long ago. I want to say last week or the week before, where he was saying that. Uh, if Moms for Liberty are in the crowd, he, he asked the crowd if Moms for Liberty were in the crowd, and then he said something like, well, that's good because I wouldn't ha- want to have to get physical or something like that. Raise my hand and slap them, basically. So that should tell you, again, all, that, uh, all you need to know about LeVar Burton and Reading Rainbow. I don't even think that exists anymore, but I grew up with that. And my God. I mean, it was right in front of our face, and we had no idea. So anyway, it says the following here. A public school teacher in Seattle encouraged students to write hate letters to the parent advocacy group Moms for Liberty. Moms for Liberty has held the charge against hypersexualized content in schools and for daring to protect our children has been labeled an anti-government extremist entity by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Well, there you go. Again, that should tell you just about all you need to know. And they've got some of the letters here. Let me see. LGBTQ rights are human rights, one of them says. Um, Another one says, gay is slay. Stop being a rat. I don't even know what that means. But there you, I mean, there you have it. Uh, Moms for Liberty co-founder Tiffany Justice told the Daily Signal that public school administrators should put our public taxpayer dollars toward fixing the abysmal reading scores in the United States rather than writing hate letters. Taxpayers spend over 18000 per student every year on public education in the Seattle public schools, and there's no world in which activism in schools is more important than the basic skills of reading and writing. Well, she's right, except this is also, as you would expect, an entire indictment of the American K-12 teacher education university apparatus also, because that's what they're teaching all of their students. And I again, I've seen this firsthand. This was not necessarily something, in fact, it didn't exist when I was in college, not where I was going to school at Miami University. This did not happen, but it did happen when I returned. Um, you know, nine, ten years later, I thought to myself, my God, I don't, I don't recognize anything that's happening here. And then, of course, over the last, well, yeah, over the last six plus years, it's gone straight to hell because everybody is all about activism because that's all they know. They don't know anything about philosophy. Again, you've heard me say before that, and I've even written about this specifically uh, in my book, Discl- Discourses on Education, that you're never going to hear the name Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus. You're never going to hear these names in a teacher education program. They do not go back in time and teach people about the history of teaching and learning. Now, you would think that that would be the first place they would start. 
And then they would teach those individuals and those philosophies, because again, those were arguably some of the earliest. And then they would go right through Christ himself. And then they would teach a little bit about that. Of course, we know they wouldn't, but you get what I'm saying. And then you would come all the way up into the 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th century. And then you would have to expose the connections between those centuries and the people that were perversing everything. And then, of course, that would lead you into the names of Edward Thorndike and John Dewey, who are basically the architects of what we are seeing now, along with the Frankfurt School. They don't teach these people. And if they do bring up Dewey, they bring him up in a very positive light, even though he was a humanist, a communist, a Marxist, and a complete piece of trash. They, they never bring up Edward Thorndike, not ever. And they certainly don't bring up the Frankfurt School. So what's left? What's left to teach these teacher education students? What's left to teach them is what's going on in society. Feelings. Teach them about feelings. Teach them about making everybody feel good. Throw a bunch of technology at them and say, use all these technology pieces, and then what do you get? You get exactly what that Westerville City School special education coordinator stated in their last board meeting. He said, you end up with young teachers who don't know how to teach their subject unless they have technology in front of them. And I would take it a step further and say, they can't teach their subject at all anyway, because look where they came from. Now, with that said, that leads me to this, and this was tossed to me by a family member. And they basically said, you know, what do you think about this guy? What do you know about this guy? Um, the fact is, is that I had to look this individual up, and it's actually nice to finally have a face and a name associated with this. And I've warned about things like this before, in particular in the last episode and numerous previous episodes, but this right here should prove it. And it has to do with the subject again of these predetermined education programs or initiatives or whatever you want to call them, projects even, that pseudo-conservatives and rhinos and, and neoconservatives have lined up for an incoming conservative, quote-unquote, politician into the, either the White House or anywhere else. And then they want to redo or reintroduce something into American K-12 education. And in this particular case, you'll recognize the name. It has to do with the reintroduction of history and patriotism, so to speak, and an accurate teaching of history. I'm using huge finger quotes regarding, again, what is taught within American K-12 schools and even university settings. So what my family member sent me was this. It's a picture of this guy, and his name is Ryan Gerdusky. And it says the following. It says at the top, this is the man that's fighting back against the Gates and Soros agenda. And he is super Jewish. Um, you can make your determinations on that, but here's what it says. His name is Ryan Gerdusky, founder of the 1776 Project Pack. Remember the 1776 Project? This was the thing that Donald Trump was pushing forth back in the beginning of 2021 when he signed the Insurrection Act before Joe Biden was illegally installed. 
he came out with his PDF of the 1776 project. He said, here's what we're interested in with schools. Betsy DeVos signed off on it, was like, this is a great idea, blah, blah, blah. And again, I, I read the document and it, you know, it's it's your basic uh, elementary school level history of America, but not teaching the real history of America. It's the watered down, you know, Abe Lincoln was the best version of everything. So here's what it says, though, as it wraps up. And then I'm going to get into who this person is and where this person comes from. It says he's got people like Ben Shapiro, Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram on board with a revolutionary plan. Well, how revolutionary is it? Because I bet that it is selective history, revisionist history, and they're going to leave a lot of cool things out that people are going to want to know that's going to be rather important. So Ryan James Gerdusky has his own website. And you can go there anytime you'd like. Here's the About Me section. Ryan James Gerdusky is a New York native. Shocking. It says, since 2007, Ryan has worked in politics, starting out with New York City Councilwoman Helen Sears. He's worked on dozens of political campaigns, including Michael Bloomberg for mayor, Bob Turner for Congress. First of all, Michael Bloomberg for mayor. Okay, not a Republican, not a Republican, not conservative at all, but worked for him and apparently has no problem telling people about it. Bob Turner for Congress, Liberty for All Super PAC, Bob Holden for City Council, and for the Logan Circle Group. Now, out of the gate, all right, I'm not a bigot, I'm just saying, out of the gate. Based on what this guy is clearly telling us about his past, there isn't a damn thing that has anything to do with education. There's not a single thing in his About Me section that has anything to do with learning the truth about the world we live in. Never been an educator, no degrees in it. Not qualified by any stretch, but again, has apparently written a document or was a part of a document that has to do with introducing the 1776 Project PAC into the American schools across the nation. It wraps up here. It says, as a writer, Ryan's work has been featured in nearly a dozen publications and he has been a guest on many television and radio shows. He's the author of the upcoming book, They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created the National Populist Revolution. I, I, don't, uh, I, I don't even know what that means, what that title means. What does he mean by they're not listening? What does he mean by the word elites? And he's claiming that elites created the National Populist Revolution. Again, who are you referring to exactly? Because real history would say that the entire education system has always been satanic, run by Marxists, and they employ Bolshevik tactics when it comes to getting their way. So 
Who are you talking about, Ryan James Gurdusky? I don't get it. This is this is just too uh, this is too misleading. This is this is too much of the problem here. It's right up there with the Heritage Foundation. You're bringing people in to quote unquote redo or reform American K twelve education who have no experience in it whatsoever. None. Haven't written any books about it. Never did it for a living. Again, it's it's the rare profession that would allow individuals who have never done it before to have such a grip over the profession. Again, most people, you know, even the brainwashed aside to some extent, but most individuals in the medical profession, they've been doctors. They've been medical administrators. They know what it's like to talk with patients in those environments. This guy, not a chance. Education is the only field that has so many hands in the cookie jar and all of those hands have never had a thing to do with actually being in a classroom and teaching Americans. It's astounding, but that right there is, again, one of the major reasons why the profession fails and cannot be reformed. It has to be eliminated permanently. And homeschooling is the only way to do that. Now, I'll tell you something else. With him aside for, for a minute here, I want to bring this up because, you know, th- this is interesting. And, and I agree and disagree with this. And I'm glad that I, that I just remembered this. I should have written it down, but I just remembered it. I decided to listen to Dr. Dave Janda's radio show on Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon this past Sunday. And I try to catch it as, as often as I can because I agree and disagree with a great deal of what he brings up and who he holds responsible for particular things and whatever else. And I listen to his guests, and I basically just listen to see how in touch with reality they are. He has an individual on who, again, has never taught a day of school in her life, but he has on a Carlin Borshenko. Now, I've brought her up on the show before. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of hers for, for a variety of reasons, but she is right when she talks about pulling children out of the American K-12 school system and even university setting permanently. And she brings that up, and, and Dave Janda, again, usually asks her the same kinds of questions each time she's on, and that's what she says. She has a PhD in psychology. She's apparently a, a workplace psychologist, you know, helping organize workplaces allegedly on, you know, how to be a, I don't know, uh, more effective, I guess, as far as their mind frame is concerned, so they don't kill themselves. I'm, I'm not entirely sure her entire background, but I do know that she's never taught a day in her life. She doesn't have degrees in education, not that you have to, but the point is, is that she was asked that question, you know, what are a couple of things that you have to do? Specifically, two things. She brought up that the two things that all parents have to do is she said, pull them out of school permanently and homeschool them. And then she said, get them off the internet. Just pull them away from the internet completely. So I agree and disagree with, with those comments, and, and here's why. When, when she's on his show, she never provides anybody with any place to go specifically regarding homeschooling. I, of course, do that with regularity here. 
but she'll say, just get on the internet, just get on a search engine and just look it up and, and you'll find all kinds of information. Parents need a faster solution than that because they don't want time to elapse because they're fearful that, again, if their child misses time in school, then something bad is going to happen in the meantime. First of all, that's not true. It would it would be actually good for the child to leave the American K-12 school system and take a massive break. And I mean a massive break. You know, the, the longest break that a, that a child receives in a, in a school environment is usually a two-month-long break, two and a half months long in the middle of summer. There's nothing wrong with keeping them out further than that. And having them decompress completely, rework their mind, rework their routines, learn new things naturally without receiving formal instruction, and again, basically deprogram them because they've been brainwashed. So instead of yanking them out of school and immediately throwing them into a homeschooling program like abeka.com, which I recommend, and I, I do recommend that that be the place for people to go, there is something to be said about a decompression time, time frame and a timeline and, and getting them out of those environments. So, so that's number one. And again, my solution is abeka.com, maybe a month, maybe even two months after you pull your children out. Give your children a nonfiction book to read in the meantime and say, read this and then tell me what it's about. Something very simple. They don't have to learn five, six subjects in a day. Just give them a nonfiction book and say, read this, and then, you know, just tell me what you think about it. That's enough to start the decompression process, because let's face it, they're not reading nonfiction and, and factual nonfiction within American schools. So that's the first move, and that's my first suggestion. The second one is she said, get them off the internet permanently, again, because the internet is indoctrinating these children. To that, I would say yes and no. You remove them from their devices temporarily, but you have to be a parent and teach them about the harm of the devices in every conceivable avenue, that the devices emit electromagnetic radiation and give people tumors and cancers. You can start there if you want. You can talk about how it wrecks people's vision by staring at these devices as frequently as they are. You can show them videos online that exist of individuals, again, having the electromagnetic frequency of these wireless devices next to children, and how an EMF reader next to those people just shoots through the roof regarding the numbers on the, on the meter. There are lots of different ways and angles that you can educate a child about these kinds of devices and the internet. And then what you have to do is, is you have to specifically talk about the internet itself why it was created, and what's going on in the modern time now with the internet. You've heard me say this before, too, that I recommend that you get children off of YouTube and you get them on things like Telegram, Gab, Rumble, and BitChute. You're not, you're not going to find people jumping into bathtubs full of Fruit Loops or children playing with toys nonstop as their parents whore them out to toy companies so that they make all this money reviewing toys and all these other stupid shows that exist on, on YouTube, which, let's face it, those are the ones that, that children tend to watch. 
And then, of course, all the sexualized programming and, and so on and so forth. You have to teach your child about how to use the internet because the internet is a weapon, just like a gun. If you don't teach a child how to use a gun, they're going to shoot themselves or somebody else. They're going to pinch their fingers in, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the lock of the gun. They're going to pinch their fingers doing this, doing that, loading a bullet. And then when it comes time to actually shoot it, they're going to shoot it in the wrong direction and you know, walk around with their finger on the trigger all day long. That's why instruction matters. This is the role of the parent, though. This is not the role of government. Because people in the school environment are not teaching their children about these kinds of things. I mean, hell, you've heard me say this. If you walk into a K-12 school and you look at them and you, you ask any of their employees, raise your hand if you know what gab is and raise your hand if you know what bit shoot is. Hardly any hands will go up in the air. And I mean that. But then, of course, again, it, it, just, it, it, uh, it highlights the fact that you have to teach your child about how to use these particular platforms and what's on these platforms. Delete YouTube off of, off of an iPad or, or an iPhone or, or you know, whatever wireless device that they have and upload BitChute. Now, you have to bookmark it as an app because it's not in the App Store. That right there is a lesson in itself. Look at your child and say, why would YouTube be available in the App Store and BitChute not be available in the App Store? What does that mean? Who runs the App Stores? What are they trying to hide? Why are they trying to keep BitChute from being viewed? And why is it that when you Google BitChute, it pops up as saying it's a white nationalist hate site, which it's not. My point is, is that there are multiple lessons that can be taught by the knowledgeable parents, and that's kind of the key word, knowledgeable, about these devices and about the internet and how to retrain their child to use the internet in an appropriate way to actually find the real truth. And yes, they're going to come across endless consistent inconsistencies, rather, and uh, a bunch of other things, but that's part of critical thinking. That's part of discernment. These are not things that are taught in American K-12 schools. These are not things that are practiced. Now, why aren't they? Because the people doing the instructing in those environments aren't doing that. Because it wasn't done to them. And that's the brainwashing cult. That's the point. So, a follow-up guest to... Dave Janda apparently ended up saying that he disagreed with Carlin and said, look, the internet is here to stay. You just have to teach your children about how to use it appropriately, what's appropriate, what isn't, and then why certain things are on the internet that are negative because, of course, they're there to influence you in a negative way and, and trick you into believing that it's, you know, that, uh, that this matters, that materialism matters and looks matter and what car you drive matters, and what home you live in matters, and so on and so forth. And as we know, those platforms also very highly encourage a vain behavior and vanity, which is, again, taking pictures of yourself, posting it on the internet, uh, you know, wearing suggestive clothes on, on screen, and then taking more pictures of yourself and putting it on the internet. It's beyond pathetic. But this right here, again, is, I mean, we're seeing that among adults. 
I think in the past I've called it something like the adult baby syndrome. Something along those lines. It's it's an inability to mature past an immature behavior and an immature activity. That's why you have, again, middle-aged men and women taking photos of themselves and putting it on the internet. They may not have even experienced this when they were younger, but the pressure is so strong on the weak-minded that they do it anyway, even as an older adult because they just somehow view it as being appropriate when it's not. It's vain. So it's not that, again, you have to eliminate the internet or eliminate the internet from children. You have to teach them that it is a microcosm of society, that there is good and evil, truth and lies on it, and that they need to learn where to go to find the truth. Because on the truthful side of things, that's where you're going to find the criticism of the lies and an examination of the lies. And that's a, you know, that's a fun place to be. That's a fun place to go. So there you go. Okay. But either way, regarding that and back to the 1776 Project guy, I don't trust him any further than I can throw him. And that leads me to this. Miami University, Oxford, Ohio. What an abomination. And I'll tell you something. Their newspaper the Miami student is a hard left-wing rag of a paper because they all are because the CIA is directly involved with not only universities and colleges but even these publications and as this particular recent article highlights the individuals who show up to give lectures to people about what they claim they experienced when in fact they probably didn't you're not going to believe this, but if you're a listening member of this audience and have been for a while, you will most certainly believe this. And again, it has to do with the CIA, believe it or not. Not at face value for someone who's not awake and can't see through this. But if you can see through it, you know exactly what this is. Okay. Just very quickly, just to revisit. You've heard me say time and time again that the CIA openly has infiltrated for God knows how long, certainly the CIA's inception, endless presence within American K-12 and university settings. They have a grip on it, the likes of which people can't possibly comprehend. In this particular case, it's very similar to the Sandy Hook fake parents showing up at K-12 schools and saying, my child died at Sandy Hook, what an abomination. This was horrible and no one should ever have to experience this. It's a CIA operation to brainwash people into believing that the event that they're referencing happened and that that person who is the speaker was actually associated with it, when in fact, neither is true. So, here comes the latest story. This is from the Miami student. It is titled, The Shooting Never Stopped, quote-unquote, Israel Festival Attendee Recounts October 7th Experience. They brought in a guy who visited Miami University on an apparent whim. And it says below the, the caption here the following, Almost two months after the attack, L-Hi, E-L-H-A-I, 
visited Miami University to bring light to his experience. The discussion was hosted by Miami's, uh, I'm not sure what that is, Hillel? I don't know. Some Jewish organization, apparently. Sorry, I'm not Jewish. I don't know what that is. Either way, ask yourself this one question at face value. What are the odds that someone who was there during that false flag event, which it was, would actually make their way to Southwest Ohio to a university surrounded by cornfields to give a lecture to students who allegedly want to know about it or whatever. What are the odds of that actually happening? It's slim and none in slim left town. There's no way that that would happen if the CIA wasn't involved and Mossad involved. And the CIA and Mossad are two fingers wrapped around one another on the same hand. Always have been, still are. And they're right here. They're right here in the town where I live. And they're in your town too. If you have a K-12 school district and a university nearby, ladies and gentlemen, they're, they're toying with you too. Now, with all of that aside, let me mention this also. There's ample proof that the story and the narrative of what went on in Israel on October 7th isn't the way that it went down. I've heard endless stories countering what this particular individual is claiming he experienced, which, let's face it, he didn't. And if he did, he's Mossad, or CIA, or both. Some of those stories include the fact that the so-called parachuters, that that was CGI. That's one story I've heard. Another one is not only was it CGI, but that they were, in fact, IDF soldiers and that they were given permission to shoot people. Another story I've heard is that no one was shot, that the whole thing was just staged on multiple cell phones and multiple cameras to make it look like there was chaos when, in fact, there wasn't. Now what are you hearing in the news? Just the other day, you're hearing all of these American politicians, in particular women, be asked about and pressure endless individuals to talk about the rapes and murders, but specifically rapes, of Israeli women and girls at the hands of Hamas. I have no proof that anyone was raped. None. Zero. But you have, again, the likes of that New York congresswoman, the one who was, I believe, allegedly trafficked as a child. Uh, Hell, what's her name? I can see her pale white face. Uh, Anyway, my apologies. She's slipped my mind. But um, Jaya Paul was another one. She was on CNN. And she was asked about it, and she goes, look, rape's, rape's horrible, but there are atrocities on all sides in XYZ. But the CNN host, again, was specifically honing in on rape, that we have to get individuals to believe that people were raped on October 7th and the days after as a result of, of that attack. No proof of that at all. 
And we know, again, that the news receives orders from Mossad and the CIA to bring up talking points on their platforms. Again, if a person doesn't know that, then they're believing what they're hearing, just like the students who are remarkably naive within this environment. They're believing what they're hearing. They're being brainwashed in real time. I feel terrible for them. I truly do. I'm sitting here looking at a picture of them, and I've put this story on Gab. You can read this article, which I'm about to read now. But uh, yeah, and there's also this, I should add. There's this story from it's t- uh, thecradle.co. It's titled, Border Surveillance Footage from 7th of October Disappears, Say Israeli Officers. Israel received officers, I'm sorry, uh, Israeli reserve officers, it says, I can read, say that surveillance video and audio recordings from the Gaza border during the Hamas attack have been deleted, potentially to prevent an investigation into what happened that day. Hmm, why would that be the case? Maybe it's because nothing happened. Maybe it was because the entire thing was staged with cameramen all over the place. That's a fact. There's ample footage of that. I think they had CNN cameras there also. And then, of course, the whole 40 dead babies lie and a thousand other things. But I just feel bad for these university students because they have to listen to this guy feed them lies as if he was actually there. So here's what it says. This was from December 2nd. Quote, Several months before the gates opened at Supernova, one of the biggest festivals in Israel, Ram El Hai, R-O-M, capital E-L dash, capital H-A-I, thought this would be the year he wouldn't attend. It says the DJs weren't ones he knew well, and the ticket prices were too steep. Nevertheless, the 29-year-old Israeli ended up getting a good deal on tickets by volunteering there for four hours. He would receive a free ticket for the rest of the day. That's a nice story. That's a really nice story that lots of college students could relate to, potentially. Then it says October 7th arrived, and El High and his two friends were at Supernova dancing into the early morning. El High said by 5.30 a.m. the floor was packed with almost 4,000 people from across the country. An hour and a half later, it was deserted. He said there were people screaming and crying, but he was initially concerned with the rockets and bombs overhead. His first thought was, oh no, the party's over. Rockets and bombs overhead. Oops, there goes the story. There were no rockets and bombs overhead. It was supposed to just be gunfire, I thought. See how this works? Do you see how remembering a lie is so difficult? This is what happens. You don't need a good memory when you tell the truth. Unfortunately for these people and these intelligence agencies, they're not too intelligent. He then said this. The next day... Israel declared war on the Palestinian group Hamas. Then the article says the three of them made their way back into their cars, while police officers told everyone to take their things and leave. For him, it was very low stress. But his ease changed to confusion and then fear once he spotted armed police officers going into the forest. What forest are you talking about? 
it's a desert. <laughs> what forest? When you think of Israel, do you think of forests? Are you kidding me? It then says, quote, or he said, quote, why, if there's a rocket in the sky, what can the police officer do in the middle of the forest, he thought at the time. There weren't rockets in the sky. He's selling a story to naive college students that is false. The article continues and says a car shot by beside them and crashed into three cars, getting stuck in one of them. The woman driving rolled out of the car with a gunshot wound. A police officer on scene told everyone to get out of their cars and run. El Hai uh, only had the things in his pockets. At this point, he and his friends had run into the woods but still did not know the severity of the situation, so they tried to get back to their car to figure out what to do to get out of there. However, they were stopped by the same police officer. Quote, is this your car behind me? Okay, so you can't go to the car. El Hai recalled the officer saying to them, which, which terrorists do you want to meet? Those who come from the north or from the south? Unquote. They went back into the forest. What forest? It then says by 8.30 a.m. news outlets had picked up on the story and he was getting phone calls from his family. I think to myself, quote, okay, I'm in the middle of terrorism. It's not a good time to speak with family, unquote. But also I thought, if I won't answer, they'll think I'm dead. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I'm so sorry. I just think this is so funny. This is such a terrible script. Who says that? Who says that last line? Okay, I'm in the middle of terrorism. Who actually says that? No one. No one unless it's somebody who's given a script from an intelligence agency to feed to young people to keep that word terrorism alive and just force it right into their brains so that it, it, it remains in their vernacular as long as humanly possible. No one says that. Oh my gosh, I'm surrounded by terrorism. Uh-oh, here comes terrorism. <laughs> no one says that. Nobody says that. It continues, it says, He told his loved ones he was safe and that he was going to go with the military to a safer location and a police officer was with him. This was a quote-unquote total lie. By, ten, by 9 a.m., he said they were hiding in bushes and under trees. And the thought that they'd only be there, and they thought they'd be there only for a couple of minutes. While hiding in the bushes, the trio realized the shooting was getting stronger. And half an hour later, they were still hiding in the same spot. I, I can't, I'm not going to continue with this. It just keeps going on and on and on. It's a lie. It's an absolute lie. It wraps up here with an Eric Glassman, a junior finance major and president of Hillel, was also at the event to hear firsthand someone's account of these tragedies. He said, quote, seeing the pictures, Glassman said, hearing the emotion in somebody's voice like that tells a story more than words on paper. And that's why they have them there. 
They have them there to reiterate a false story that the fake media brings to people so that they can drive the nail further into their brain and get them to believe that it's real when in fact it isn't. And scene. The end. Again, you should never discredit or discount the influence that the CIA and Mossad has on endless individuals within university settings, including Jewish groups like this, the Hillel. I'm assuming that's what that is. Remember when the universities allegedly all got rid of their Confucius centers? That was bad enough. And then what happened? They got rid of their Confucius centers, and then their Chinese population dropped dramatically across the nation. Bill Barr's DOJ openly said that they were a spy agency or a terrorist organization or something to that effect. They disappeared, they stopped getting funding, and then, wouldn't you know it, the Chinese population dramatically declined. How about we get rid of these Jewish organizations and watch what happens? But that's not going to happen, is it? Because they're too intertwined in our society. They have too many hooks in too many people. Too much influence. What if these Hillel organizations are Mossad operations? I think they are. Why wouldn't they be? The entire university is CIA. CIA and Mossad work with one another. Do you see the connections here? It's all done to further brainwash the professors who are there working there and the young people who are attending. So I'll end this particular story by simply saying this. The octopus is real. The tentacles are everywhere. And if you send your children To a university setting, they don't stand a chance. Not unless you tell them the truth about what they're going to be experiencing, which is this. But again, I'm telling you, it's too risky. It's just too risky. If they don't know that what they're watching on their TV, and hopefully they don't own one, but if they're watching their television and they don't know that what they're seeing is a lie, and that what their professors are relaying to them in their classroom settings and lecture halls and so on and so on is a reverberation and highlighting of that lie, then they don't stand a chance. So if you're more knowledgeable on the subject, then you need to bring this to the attention of your children who are attending these places. But I'm telling you, it's a CIA Mossad amusement park and your children are overpaying for a game. And the game is unfortunately for their mind. And that's not a game. That's a war. Now, I just found this out, and this is kind of interesting. Can't make this up, oddly enough. This is the subject matter, and this is happening live as I'm recording this. Uh, The House Education Committee in Washington is holding a hearing about anti-Semitism on college campuses. Well, wouldn't you know it? So Virginia Fox is the chairperson 
the head of the committee here, and she's questioning Harvard, UPenn, and MIT's presidents about each school's actions on anti-Semitism in the wake of the October 7th attacks. Let's hear what she has to say. And then she goes down the line again with all the presidents, and they all say the same kind of crap. We, we love free expression, we love freedom of speech, but we don't encourage any kind of hate. Well, isn't that hypocritical of all of you? Because if somebody brings up something that's counter to one of your personal beliefs or your political ideologies, all of the sudden you throw the book at them. You engage in all the Bolshevik tactics that exist. You engage in all of these human resource department attacks on endless individuals, professors, and students alike to the point where they are guilty before proven innocent. And ultimately, they don't, they don't have a single chance because then they're disciplined and they have to write some paper about how what they said was hateful and blah, blah, blah. I, I'm telling you, these environments are dangerous because they're all controlled. This one, again, I put a screenshot up of it on Gab. The one screenshot exemplifies the absurdity of the entire thing. You have both sides of the political aisle screaming that they're not anti-Semitic, that they all love Jews no matter what. You've got a woman sitting behind the co-chair wearing a mask, and it's a mask I've never even seen before on a person's face. It's almost like she's wearing a biohazard mask. I'm not kidding. A couple of people in the crowd uh, wearing masks. The place is filled with, with Jewish individuals and, and everybody else, and they're all watching and listening intently to see what anybody is going to say. And if they even slip up once, well, they can say goodbye to their career. But here's the audio from this opening statement from the chairperson, and then she runs down the line of the presidents, and you'll hear all of their scripted answers. It's beyond pathetic. They're all bending the knee to Israel, ladies and gentlemen, in three, two, one. Before I ask my questions, let me, um, let me do some housekeeping. Under Committee Rule 9, we'll now question witnesses under the five-minute rule. I remind members that I'll strictly enforce the five-minute rule. So, you're, so members are advised to keep your questions succinct so the witnesses have time to answer. Please don't talk for four minutes and then ask the witness a question. Um, we've heard from many students that they do not feel safe. You've talked about that in your statements. But the anti-Semitism we've seen and on your campuses didn't come out of nowhere. There are cultures at your institutions that foster it because you have faculty and students who hate Jews, hate Israel, and are comfortable apologizing for terror. How did your campuses get this way? What is it about the way that you hire faculty and approve curriculum that's allowing your campuses to be infected by this intellectual and moral rot? Uh, President Gay, I'm going to ask you to give me a brief answer. I also would invite you to follow up with more in writing, and we will follow up with you. So I will go down the line, President Gay and President McGill and President Kornbluth. Thank you, Chairwoman Fox. 
again, anti-Semitism has no place at Harvard. When we recruit faculty, we do so with the understanding that they are joining a community where we, we honor, celebrate, and nurture open discourse, both on the campus and in the classroom. And to be a successful teacher and educator at Harvard requires the ability to draw out all of the viewpoints and voices in your classroom, irrespective of one's political views. And we devote significant resources to training our faculty in that pedagogical skill and Thank to prioritizing you. that in our recruiting and hiring. Thank you. Ms. McGill. Thank you for the opportunity to address the question. Uh, I'm troubled by what you're reporting about the, the culture of the institutions uh, that we're leading. Um, very contrary to the values that I hold as a leader of Pennsylvania, University of Pennsylvania, as well as the institution, uh, where any form of hate is uh, very contrary to our values. Uh, I would venture an answer, uh, Chairwoman Fox, that anti-Semitism has a, a role in the broader society, and that's what we're seeing happening in the society and on our campuses. And I'm committed to combating it in immediate term and the long term. Thank you. Dr. Kornbluth. Yes. So MIT is a majority uh, STEM education and research institution. and We are devoted to solving the problems that face society. Our faculty hired for their brilliance. Now we allow them to say what they'd like in the classroom in the name of free expression. But we are committed to having them know that this is that our campus must be welcoming and inclusive environment. And although um, they may say what they like in the classroom academically. Targeting any individual student, harassing or discriminating is strictly forbidden in our classrooms and on campus. Thank you. We will be following up with asking for specific plans for disciplining student and faculty who assault or harass students or prevent them from accessing undis undisrupted classes or campus spaces. We'll be asking for your plan for preventing this rot from perpetuating, how you're going to hire and assess instructors, how will you change how you govern students, and what are the practical steps you will plan to take. Um, I, I want to ask you one more question. It as I've said, and, and Ms. McGill, I, Appreciate the fact that you feel uh, concerned about the fun my feeling about the fundamental culture on the campuses is foundational to this issue. Denial of the right of Israel to exist. So I want to ask each one of you, President Gay, do you believe that Israel has a right to exist as a Jewish nation? I agree that the state of Israel has the right to exist. Ms. McGill, same question. I agree, Chairwoman Fox, the state of Israel has the right to exist. Dr. Kornbluth. Absolutely. Israel has the right to exist. I want to thank our witnesses again for being here and to say we will follow up and to tell you that um, while we've talked about a larger culture out there, it's the universities who should be um, examples of what this nation is all about. 
The hypocrisy is palpable. It's so disgusting. These people are so disgusting. They're all on the same team. They're all covering for each other. They're covering for themselves. Intellectual and moral rot. So if you disagree with any Jew, you are intellectual and moral rot, according to Virginia Fox, Congresswoman Virginia Fox. She's an abomination. She's the intellectual and moral rot. And then, of course, booking it, bookending her comments with the question, does Israel have the right to exist? Let's go down the line. And by the way, don't mind the Jewish gun that's to the back of your head. Because the entire panel behind them is just this huge row of old Jewish guys sitting there with their arms crossed looking angry as to like what the answer is going to be, basically. You'd better not say anything about Israel that we don't like or else. Absolutely disgusting. Anti-Semitism doesn't exist, ladies and gentlemen. It's a made-up phrase. I've been through the history of the word on the show a thousand times. Wilhelm Marr was not the first person to create it. Mort, whatever his name was, I always butcher his last name. It starts with an S. You can look it up online. He was the first one to create it in the 1800s. He said, I don't like people making fun of Jews, so we're going to call them anti-Semites. That's it. That's what we'll do. Then it was in all the newspapers, anti-Semitic this, anti-Semitic that, and then Wilhelm Marr popularized it even more and brought it more into the mainstream because he was his protege. It's a made-up word. It's completely fake. But this right here should also prove to you that all of these individuals are corrupt, every single one of them. And this right here, again, for anybody to claim or say that our government isn't run by Israel, Mossad, and satanic, specifically, Jewish individuals, well, I don't know what else to tell you. I don't know what else to say. That pretty much proves it right there, doesn't it, in that one five-minute clip. Everybody's got their hooks in their backs. The, the, the octopus tentacles are wrapped around everybody. There's no avoiding it. They're all right there in, in one giant room. And now they want to work together to get government intervention and universities to work together to make sure that we tighten our hiring practices and that we do whatever we can to make sure that we maybe put a question on the old survey or the old resume uh, you know, application form, basically, that says, do you support Israel's right to exist? And if you say no, well, then we're going to throw your entire application in the trash. I like how they didn't bring up the Bolshevik tactics that were used on Harvard's campus and Columbia University's campus. You know, with the trucks with the giant video messages on the side of pro-Palestinian or Middle Eastern students who attended the universities with their face, phone number, address in an effort to dox them the way that Bolsheviks do. I bet that didn't get brought up in the committee at all. Strange. And then, of course, like I said, she bookends it by saying, well, this right here is what has to happen. Uh, American universities have to exemplify all that America stands for. If that were true, then the First Amendment would exist and anybody could say whatever the hell they wanted to. But that can't happen. And that isn't happening. So no, they aren't 
exemplifying everything that America stands for, because if they did, they wouldn't exist. Universities wouldn't exist. If you say bubkiss about anything Jewish-related on a college campus, you get your head cut off. That's not the American way. In fact, the American way is, if you say anything against America or you're not allowed to criticize anybody, you get tarred and feathered. That's the American way. That's the good old-fashioned American way. But these places, I'm telling you what, when Steve Bannon says university campuses are the most unsafe place for Jewish students and Jewish professors, no, they're not. They're more protected there than anywhere else. And they're openly telling you that they want to come down with massive reform and policy reform that protects them even more than they already are. You heard me say again, Joseph Goebbels was right when he said they're not going to quit until criticizing them is punishable by death. He said it back in 1945. He was right. I think it was 45, 45 or 43. But I read the quote on the show. He's 100% right. They won't stop until you can't say anything about them or else you'll get kicked out and then you'll get killed. American way my ass. This is disgusting. It's beyond disgusting. And again, in the words of George S. Patton, when everybody's thinking alike, someone's not thinking. Well, Patton was right yet again, because that room is gross. Okay, that leads me to this. Speaking of gross, and again, speaking of protection and not being able to criticize anybody, look at the protection that more Miami University students have. In particular, one individual who writes for the Miami student in their opinion section, a Sasha. Capinos, if I'm saying that right. This is titled, Stop Calling It Christmas Break. You know where this is going. It's a picture of a Christmas tree and a menorah right next to each other. It says the following. I'm going to read this in its entirety because it's gross. Again, like clockwork, these, these same old don't say Christmas anymore stories every single year. Where do they come from? Who perpetuates these? It's not Christians. It's the people who think that Jesus Christ is boiling in a pond full of feces on fire. That's in the Talmud. So let's read what this individual has to say. And yes, they happen to be Jewish too. Here's what they said, quote, As December approaches, the holiday season draws upon us, and many families prepare for massive feasts, yearly reunions, and gift shopping. Actually, we look forward to the birth of Jesus Christ, but whatever. Anyway, they continued, they said, When we drive down our streets, we see houses lined with sparkling Christmas lights, pine trees, and statues of old Saint Nick. But what about the people who don't celebrate Christmas? What you also see, of course, are the manger scenes, you know, because of Jesus. That's what Christmas is about. She apparently doesn't know this. And you can't have Christmas without Christ, so there's that too. 
She continued and said it is important to remember that America is a melting pot of different cultures and traditions. Ah, melting pot. Who created that phrase? And while they're often forgotten, holidays such as Hanukkah and Kwanzaa are still celebrated by many Americans. Allow me just a few moments on Kwanzaa, will you? And here we go. The creator of Kwanzaa, a Dr. Karanga. Let me get his name correct here. Maluna Karanga, or Malana Karanga, a guy. This is a man's name. Ronald, born Ronald McKinley Everett. Yes. Such an African name, Ronald. Ronald McKinley Everett, otherwise known as Dr. Karanga, born in 1941, started this whole thing regarding Kwanzaa in 1966, modeling the holiday after the African first fruit traditions, which oddly enough uh, also has a bit of a menorah associated with it regarding seven candles. But don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, he was a felon and a kidnapper and a wife beater. In 1971, Karanga was sentenced to one to ten years in prison on counts of felony assault and false imprisonment. One of the victims gave testimony to how Karanga and other men tortured her and another woman. The woman described having been stripped naked and beaten with an electric cord. Karanga's estranged wife, Brenda Lorraine Karanga, testified that she sat on the other woman's stomach while another man forced water into her mouth through a hose. Ah, yes. Happy Kwanzaa, everybody. But don't worry, let's keep listening to this Miami University student because, well, they're a freshman or a sophomore and they have it all figured out. They continued. Remember, melting pot. It's important to celebrate all of these things and be emotionally cognizant of other people's feelings. Quote, also for many people, Christmas is an emotionally taxing time of the year that could be characterized by single-parent households, estranged relatives, divorced parents, and many more, quote, non-traditional family dynamics. When living in a diverse country and community, it's important to understand that Christmas is not the all-encompassing event of the holiday season. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's what Christmas means. This poor girl doesn't have two IQ points to rub together to possibly make a third. This is how dumb she is. That's what the word Christmas means, dummy. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. As an American belonging to a Russian Jewish heritage, shocking. I participate in many traditions other than Christmas. We don't care. For example, every December, my family and I celebrate Hanukkah. Don't care. Hanukkah is a celebration lasting eight days in early to mid-December, characterized by lighting a menorah, eating traditional foods, and listening to traditional Jewish music. For me, Hanukkah consists of getting together with my community, lighting the menorah, and eating donuts. Latkes, don't care if I'm saying that right or not, and drinking hot chocolate. Contrary to popular belief, many Jewish families, including mine, actually do celebrate Christmas in their own traditional ways. Well, then you're confused. Because you can't worship Christ 
and eat donuts at the same time? Which is it? And listen to Jewish music at the same time. Pick one. (laughs) My God, just pick one. In fact, she said, it's very common for Jewish Americans to gather together on Christmas Eve to drive around and admire houses with extravagant lights and decorations and then come together to eat at a Chinese restaurant. Of course you would. (laughs) Is that really? Is that really tradition? Would somebody please correct me on that? I'm serious. Is that really their tradition? Is it very common for Jewish Americans who celebrate Hanukkah and Christmas to drive around, admire the lights, and then gather together at a Chinese restaurant to eat duck, just like in the Christmas story? Or did she just pull this from the Christmas story? (laughs) I mean, which is it? This is embarrassing. God, she's just so foolish. uh, She continues, believe it or not. They said, quote, Another interesting tradition shared by mine and other Russian families is the Russian New Year. Many Russian Americans celebrate the New Year with grand meals composed of cultural Russian food and gift giving. Many don't understand the significance of celebrating the New Year because most people view it as more of a party than a traditional holiday. Can somebody help me where this uh, inflated ego seems to think that she gets to speak for a Christian nation that was founded on Christianity and the presence of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, she continues and says, but for me, it has been the one day a year when I get to see my extended family and receive the gifts I've been waiting for months, been wanting for months, she said. Oh, okay. So you're superficial then. We, we've, got that, we've got that figured out. And you just defined it for everybody. It's the one time a year when I wait for people to give me shit that I want. <laughs> God, what a godless monster. She continues. Oh, she's not done. She says, quote, however, in my experience with Christmas, it's always been an alienating time. Seeing all my friends reconnect with their families and distant relatives and receive an exuberant amount of presents from Santa. Well, then your family sucks. And your friends suck too. Because if we're having a good time and you don't like it, well, then you're a Bolshevik and a Marxist. Because that's what they believe. Everybody should just be as miserable as they are. That's why you wrote this piece. That's why it was published. And that's why you're a piece of trash. She continues, quote, For a long time, I wished that I could celebrate Christmas. I thought you said you did. Only recently, it dawned on me that I do celebrate the holiday just in my own way, which in many ways still makes me feel left out when I notice my friends talking about the elf on the shelf or leaving cookies out for Santa. Well, then you're an idiot. And you're intolerant. And you don't like other people except for yourself. Wow, what a prize. Hey, college fellas out there, you got a prize here. This is a winner to bring home to mom and dad. Good Lord. (laughs) I wouldn't touch this thing with a 10-foot pole. Ugh. Can you imagine? Can you imagine marrying this? Even for those celebrating Christmas, she said, it can be tougher for some other... I'm sorry, tougher for some than others. Many children of divorced families must split up their time between their two parents, two parties, two sets of gifts, and double the driving. 
so what? Also, factors such as losing a loved one can make Christmas even more difficult. It's hard to celebrate such a family-oriented holiday knowing that a loved one is no longer with you and you can no longer enjoy something you both shared. Oh my God. Do you hear how godless this person is? That if a family member dies, we should just stop doing everything. Because this college student said so. This Sasha Capinos. Go to hell. (laughs) How about that? Go to hell. She continued, Christmas is not always the easygoing, lighthearted holiday it's cut out to be, especially when it comes to difficult family dynamics and deceased loved ones. This joyous holiday loses its Christmas joy and spark and can become an event that some would rather avoid. Yet, well, you would, clearly. Yet still, this time of year can still be one of great celebration and joy. Not around you, sweetheart. (laughs) Not around you. God, you're disgusting. She wraps up, last one, I promise. She said, quote, So, whether you celebrate Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, or nothing at all, this holiday season is the perfect time to get together with friends, family, and loved ones. This time is about cherishing the people in your life no matter which holiday you celebrate, unquote. You're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. You apparently can't read what you just wrote. And then you end it with that? I'll tell you what. The brainwashing is over-flippin'-whelming. It's overwhelming. This person doesn't stand a chance. Not a chance. They're not going to make it. They have to be at least triple-jabbed. They're probably glowing like a Christmas light or a menorah right now walking down the street. They've got so much biological weapon in them. Unbelievable. But it strikes again, ladies and gentlemen, the don't say Christmas. Well, I have news for this Sasha Capinos. Merry Christmas, Sasha. It's the birth of Jesus Christ. You know that guy you hate who made you? He made you, and you hate him. Think about that. Wrap your head around that. Read the Bible. Get your head out of the Torah and the Talmud. And how about you read the Bible for once? But, ladies and gentlemen, we have to forgive her because she knows not what she does. And she doesn't. She doesn't know what she's saying. That's how stupid she is. Now we get to highlight her stupidity as the day is long. Free will, after all, right? Well, I'm going to do it. And I just did it, and if something else like that comes up again, well, I'll do it again too. So forever that Sasha Capinos will be stamped into a podcast episode that she'll never ever hear. And if she does, well, you have a lot of learning to do. Okay, moving on. Get a load of this. Got an update from Kim Carter. This again had to do with her child's school, children's school in Dayton, Ohio regarding the jabs. And uh, again, their their Facebook group post thing regarding their school. Get a load of this one. This is different, and it specifically has to do with a specific student who apparently had a heart attack. And then Kim's response. Kim sent this to me, this first post, which I'll read here in a second. I texted her back, and I said, uh, ask in the Facebook group 
that, of course, goes out to, I'm sure, numerous people. How many shots did they take? How many, how many COVID shots did the kid take? And then she sent back her response, and I'll read her response. It was fantastic. It was absolutely professional and totally perfect. Here was the post, though. This is from a Sarah Gosser uh, at Northmont High School. Northmont family, she said, quote, We have a student and a family who is in crisis. If you live in Inglewood, you've probably met a Mangin Peffer, if I'm saying that right, or Pfeiffer, something. Their family has made a continuing and ongoing impact on our community and their son, Luke, who's had a surprising cardiac episode or has a very surprising cardiac episode resulting in lots of surgeries, lots of prayers, and lots of continued travel to Cincinnati where he's located. By God's grace, this young man has made it through what seemed impossible. Those of us that have seen God work before are not surprised to see him work again. We are incredibly grateful for his mercy and his grace. I could go on and tell you about his mom, grandparents, aunties, and siblings, and Luke, but you already know. Support this family if you feel lead. As always, the family appreciates your prayers and support. Hashtag Northmont Strong. Here's Kim's reply. Quote, Kim Hill Carter. I'm a registered nurse. I've taught AHA CPR for the last nine years. Children having cardiac events prior to two years ago was very rare. This family will be in my prayers. It's possible this is the reason for the tragedy of this experience, and she links a peer-reviewed article. I'm certain it's the reason for the EKG testing at the school we, are all, we were all notified about this week. Everyone that has taken the COVID vaccine is at severe risk. Please go and get a full cardiac workup, D-dimer labs, troponin levels, troponin levels, there we go, stress test, and an echo. And she continued and said, I would not recommend that any person who received the COVID vax participate in any strenuous exercise until a cardiologist has cleared you. Depending on how many shots you have received will determine the extent of the damage. I hope I am wrong, but unfortunately, I am not. And then she included an article with the title, Cardiac Side Effects of RNA-Based SARS-CoV-2 Vaccines, Hidden Cardiotoxic Effects of MRNA-1237 and BNT162B2 on Ventricle Myocyte Function and Structure, unquote. Oops. More facts strike again. I'm telling you, that right there is perfect. These school-related Facebook groups that put out these messages of a sick kid or a dead staff member or whatever, if you're not replying with the fact that it's the jabs and that, and again, exactly what Kim just said right there, what everybody should do regarding the jabs if you've taken them and understand that this is already common knowledge among all of us and published beyond anything that uh, they, of course, would ever read, not to mention the numerous documentaries that exist that they've never even heard of and a thousand other things. I mean, Link died suddenly, or the viral delusion, or any of these, you know, Fluvid 19, any of these other documentaries in those Facebook groups. Just let them have it. 
That's one way to help wake people up and scare the shit out of them. They have no idea this is going on. They're like, well, uh, you know, a kid had a heart attack. It's completely normal. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. How many shots did he take? That's the only question anybody should ask. How many shots did he take? Don't take any more. The other thing, too, is the residual effects and the long-term effects of what happens when a person has a heart attack, regardless of age. Your chances of having a stroke increase by like 50 to 75%. It's inevitable that this kid is now going to have at least one stroke in the future. At least one. Probably in relatively short order. I'm hoping that doesn't happen, but that's the medical statistics. That's the way that it goes. Now, of course, here's what else they don't understand, because people are still wearing masks. I'm still seeing them, and I'm starting to see more. I don't know about anybody else. I mean, I'm trying to not travel too much, but in my occasional errand running, that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing more employees of places wearing masks, which is really depressing for a variety of reasons, but they're wearing masks around a bunch of people who are not. So it really does, again, continue to beg the question, what is it that you think you have figured out that the rest of us don't? This particular article hit the mainstream just the other day. At least it was on Disclosed TV. It's titled, peer-reviewed, or whatever that's worth. This is out of the BMJ, the Archives of Disease in Childhood. It's titled, Child Mask Mandates for COVID-19, a Systematic Review. Looks like six authors. And here's what it says. Abstract. Mask mandates for children during the COVID-19 pandemic varied in different locations. A risk-benefit analysis of this intervention has not yet been performed. Sure it has. Either way, it continued and says, In this study, we performed a systematic review to assess research on the effectiveness of mask wearing in children. How about everybody? Unfortunately, this is an everybody problem. Uh, here, here's what it said. It said, quote, we performed database searches up to February of 2023. It says the studies we screened by title and abstract and included studies were further screened as full text references. A risk of bias analysis was performed by two independent reviewers and adjudicated by a third reviewer. Results. We screened 597 studies that included 22 in the final analysis. There were no randomized controlled trials in children assessing the benefits of mask wearing to reduce SARS-CoV-2 infection or transmission. The six observational studies reporting an association between child masking and lower infection rate or antibody seropositivity had critical or serious risk of bias. All six were potentially confounded by important differences between masked and unmasked groups, and two were shown to have non-significant results when reanalyzed. Sixteen other observational studies found no association between mask wearing and infection or transmission. Conclusion Real-world effectiveness of child mask mandates against SARS-CoV-2 transmission or infection has not been demonstrated with high-quality evidence. The current body of scientific data does not support masking children for protection against COVID-19, unquote. 
So the jury's now in. It's always been in, but at least it's out there now for the dummies to understand. Masks don't do anything, never did. Now let's ask the why question. Why is it that masks don't have anything to do with transmission or infection? In particular, preventing it. Hmm, what could it be? Could it be because coughing and sneezing doesn't transmit infection? Could it be that electromagnetism is the way that people become ill? Could it be that mask wearing reduces oxygen in the body, which is more likely to make a person sick? See, that's another avenue that they didn't touch on. How many people wearing the masks got ill? Because those articles exist, those peer-reviewed articles exist, there are plenty of them. But this specifically has to do with SARS-CoV-2. You know, that thing that doesn't exist. That's never been isolated because viruses can't be. Only biological weapons can be isolated. And how do you get a biological weapon into a person? You inject it into them. That's how. And the people injecting it into people who created this in the first place, they know that electromagnetism is the way that you become ill. They're counting on the shedding. They're counting on the electromagnetic transmission from the jabbed to the unjabbed and the jabbed to the jabbed. They're counting on it. They know that that is real. They know that germ theory isn't real. They know that terrain theory is not a theory but real. And they know that electromagnetism is real. That's what that article just proved. It didn't just prove that wearing masks as children doesn't have any impact on their health from a COVID standpoint. That article just proved that electromagnetism is real. That transmission from coughing and sneezing doesn't exist. Amazing. It's right there in front of people's faces, but they won't see it because they don't understand. They just don't get it. And if you don't understand it and you don't know what you're looking for, you're never going to see it. You'll never see it. It's like a chemtrail in the sky. People see those things in the sky and they go, oh, well, look at those, look at those jet trails. It must be water vapor. No. Nope. You even had weather people a year or so ago come on television and say there's a new kind of cloud in the sky, a new cloud formation. <laughs> no. Not a new cloud formation. We're being poisoned. Ah, uh, so exhausting, isn't it? God dang. All right. I'm going to wrap up with this. More insurance news from our Michigan friend. They said the following from their uh, from their insurance friend. So I'm hearing this, of course, through a couple of people here. But it says the following here. They said the insurance agents. Again, this specifically, if you're new to the show. Uh, this specifically has to do with, again, why insurance rates are going up. I've been over it before, but they're going up because there's less people. And BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street know exactly what they're doing. If They're the ones that control these insurance companies, and all they have to do is tell insurance companies to raise their rates. And if they double their rates and increase them by 100%, well, people can't afford to pay. You want to run a business out? You want to crush the United States and people's businesses and the money that they make? Raise their insurance rates. It's happening everywhere. 
So here's what they said. They said, quote, the insurance agent started running quotes today. Her boss wants her to call every customer and explain what is going on. Explain the state sets. Explain that the state sets the rates and basically not blindside them with the January bill. The first quote she ran was a small business daycare. The daycare current rate is 30000 a year. The new rate is 60000 It's a 100% increase. She spent over an hour on the phone with the daycare owner who was sobbing hysterically and saying this is going to force her to close. She had no prior insurance claims. The second quote was a local banquet hall venue. This business had one claim in 2019 due to a severe windstorm, geoengineering, they said. The banquet hall went from 55000 a year to 85000 a year. She later said that her insurance friend currently has uh, 20 small businesses that she insures, apparently, that are behind on their insurance payments since the last rate hike. There's no way that they're going to be able to handle the hike they are about to be hit with. And then they said their buddy just sent them this. DTE is their electricity provider. It says Michigan Utility Regulator approves DTE rate hike. And then the subtitle says it looks like despite the many reliability issues we have faced and a gross point, I'm sorry, a gross profit of $6 billion, DTE will be able to charge an additional additional 6% in electricity rates. They said, yeah, shit's about to get crazy. I can tell you that this was the slowest Black Friday, Cyber Monday my company has ever had. My insurance friend is brave and she goes out in shops and she says the stores were overall slow. The financial crush is beginning to sink in. Uh, and then they said they're driving into work. Their insurance friend is driving into work and feels like they're going to have a nervous breakdown. She knows her job for the rest of the month is calling all of these clients to tell them that they're effed. I feel horrible for her. Imagine being an insurance agent and your job is to tell people the business that they work so hard to open their entire life's work with their entire life's work uh, is being financially taken away by the U.S. government. But don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about anti-Semitism on college campuses as being the biggest thing that's the problem right now. Not insurance rates, not crumbling businesses, not foreclosures, not lost money, uh, not homelessness, not job loss. No, 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 no. Anti-Semitism on college campuses. Know who your enemy is. Your enemy is always going to be the politicians and government who aren't talking about what's really going on. Always. They're always going to be the enemy. And I hate these people. I absolutely detest them. That's what I've got, ladies and gentlemen. I'll catch you on Friday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.